Good morning. Uh, we started Sunday uh, our study of the book of Job, and due to so many being out, I wanted to take uh, some time this morning and give us uh, just kind of a rundown of what we talked about on Sunday so that we'd all be on the same page as we continued on with the series. Um, Job is an interesting book. Uh, I've been studying the book of Job along with a book by Charles Swindoll uh, entitled uh, The Book of Job, Heroic Endurance. And it comes as no surprise to us that um, life is hard. And when the writer of Job uh, picked up his pen to start writing this text, uh, he could have very easily started off with those, those very words that life was hard because none of us can argue that life is filled with hardship and heartaches and headaches. Uh, we've, most of us have learned that life can be difficult uh, but unfair. Uh, something kind of kicks in deep within most of us, making us hard to accept and cope with things that uh, we feel are unfair. Um, and so uh, that was kind of Job's world. Uh, Eugene Peterson, if you're familiar with The Message, uh, a Bible paraphrase that uh, is popular, uh, he's the one behind this. But Eugene Peterson wrote this. He said, it's not only because Job suffered that he's important to us. It's because he suffered in the same ways that we suffer, in the vital areas of family, personal health, and material things. Uh, Job is also important to us because he searchingly questioned and boldly protested his suffering. Indeed, he went uh, to the top or he went to God with his questions. It's not the suffering that troubles us. It's undeserved suffering. Almost all of us in our years of growing up have the experience of disobeying our parents and getting punished for it. Um, when that discipline was connected with wrongdoing, it had a certain sense of justice to it. When we do wrong, we get punished. Uh, he goes on, Eugene Peterson goes on to write, one of the surprises as we get older, however, uh, is that we come to see that there is no real correlation between the amount of wrong we commit and the amount of pain we experience. An even larger surprise is that very often uh, there is uh, quite the opposite. We do right, we get knocked down. We do the best we're capable of doing, and just as we're reaching out to receive our reward, we're hit from the blind side and sent reeling. And for Job, life wasn't just difficult. Uh, what happens to him is, is unfair. So in case you don't know the story, uh, let me give you a short summary. Job was a, a great man. Uh, he was a man of well-deserved prosperity. Um, so he was a wealthy man. He was also, and more importantly, a godly man. He was a great husband and a faithful father. But in a quick and brutal series of, of calamities, really, uh, Job was reduced to broken and grieving deeply, and, and he lost everything. Um, he's left bankrupt, homeless, helpless, uh, childless, and uh, his wife uh, is sobbing as they stand next to the ten freshly dug graves of his uh, seven sons and three daughters. And as he holds his wife, he, he utters a, a phrase. Uh, he says, basically, whether our God gives to us or takes everything away from us, we'll follow him. Uh, and her respond amidst the sobs was, uh, curse God and die. And it sounds harsh, but, but just stop and think what they're going through and, and just remember that Job really has done nothing to deserve it. But then uh, as we continue on in the text, it tells us that uh, it wasn't just losing his job and, and his livelihood and his animals and his family, 
but his body begins to be affected. Boils pop up all over his body. He swells with fevers, suffers from an itch that cannot be scratched. Um, and then uh, three friends arrive. Uh, we see this uh, later in chapter 2. Um, and at first, they, the text tells us they don't even recognize him. That tells you how bad Job looked. Uh, they sit and stare at him for seven days, uh, just sit in silence. They don't say anything. Um, but man, if they'd only stayed silent, but they don't. Uh, they speak, and it's nothing but blame and accusation and insult, and Job's pain only intensifies. But add to that is the silence uh, that he, he hears from God. Um, if the words of his so-called friends are hard to hear, um, God's silence just makes it that much more difficult. And we actually get through 38 chapters of Job before God finally speaks. And we don't know how much time passes during this time, but you know it doesn't take long if you've ever uh, been in a season of silence with God that a little bit of time can, can feel like a real long time. Um, and so there's nothing, nothing really coming from there. And as we kind of get into the text... Um, we see that uh, in verse 1 of Job chapter 1, it says there was a man in the land of uh, Uz whose name was Job, uh, and that man was blameless and upright. It tells us he was one who feared God and turned away from evil. So this isn't telling us that Job is necessarily perfect. Um, it's, not, it's just telling us that he, didn't, um, he wasn't an evil man. He didn't compromise uh, his moral integrity. His business dealings were were handled well. He kept his word. He dealt fairly with other people. He was, he was upright. And because of all this, he was respected by those around him. But it also tells us about that he feared God. And so he held God in respect. And um, he turned away from evil. He didn't try to get as close to it as he could. He turned away from it. He was a, a man with character. Um, and it goes on later in the text. It describes him as uh, the greatest uh, of all the people of the East at the end of verse 3. Um, as we as we keep reading, though, about kind of this resume, so to speak, of Job, it says in verse 2, there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. So he had uh, ten children. He possessed 7,000 sheep. Uh, most of the wool of, from those sheep would have been sold, uh, but, but some was kept to make sure his family was clothed. He had 3,000 camels. Uh, we might liken this to an Old Testament trucking business, hauling goods and uh, from those who, who make them to places where they would sell. He had 500 yoke of oxen, so he had 1,000 oxen that uh, would be teamed together and, and, and um, till his fields. And, and, and you know, you have 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. You've got a lot of, lot of property to maintain to, to house all those animals. He had 500 female donkeys. Uh, not only do donkey female donkeys give birth to donkeys that could be sold, but they were also a source of the delicacy of the day, which was um, donkey milk. And so we see just through these first um, few verses, and then it goes on and says, and he had very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people uh, of the East. And so we see that, you know, he was um, in a good place in life. Uh, children were grown, uh, living on their own. Um, all this, you know, all the, the child rearing and raising was behind Job, and he and his wife were happy. Um, but he wasn't out of touch. And that's something that, that we see in verses 4 and 5 that says in, in verses 4 and 5, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. Uh, and they would send and invite, invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, 
Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So he would offer up these sacrifices for his children because he was concerned that maybe there had been a hint of disobedience or perhaps one of them had maybe told an inappropriate joke during their get-together. So these kids weren't uh, rebellious children. They weren't uh, partiers who were lazy and never worked. Uh, they would just hold get-togethers uh, with their brothers and sisters and celebrate and, and, and have a good time. Um, but Job, it tells us here that, you know, that, that basically that Job is, is spiritually sensitive, um, not only regarding his own life, but also the lives of his children. But as we get into verse 6, there's almost a scene change. Um, if you've ever been to a play, you know, the stage lights dims, the curtains close, uh, the scene is changed out. Um, new scene is brought in and the, the, the curtains open and the lights come on and you're transported to a different place or a different setting. And it almost happens in this change between verses uh, 5 and verse 6. Verse, uh, chapter, verses 1 through 5, you're on earth, you're in the life of Job. But verse 6 transports us to heaven. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan, uh, the accuser, the adversary, uh, is also among them. And so we see that, that present among the angels is, is, is Satan. And Satan in Hebrew, which was the, the language of the Old Testament, means to be an adversary uh, or to resist. And so Satan accuses God's people day and night. I mentioned Sunday morning that when we are... Uh, sensing God calling us to do something and we're moving to obey and all of a sudden we have um, uh, a voice you know, comes to mind that says, well, you can't do that because you have done this or you have done that. Um, trying to, to, to accuse us of our past, that's the voice of Satan that is accusing us. And so here we have the accuser present among the other angels. And it's important to note that, that Satan isn't this frail uh, red being, you know, with this pitchfork and a, a pointy tail and sits on our shoulder whispering lies into our ears. The scriptures tell us that he's the, the most attractive and the most brilliant and the most powerful archangel that God ever created. And the fact is, is he's never lost any of those things. Um, he's no less brilliant. He's no less powerful. He's no less appealing in his beauty. Um, we also see that that there's a, a you know an evil side to him that his favorite method is is working behind the scenes and um, it's important to note and we'll talk more about it in a little bit but because he's invisible doesn't mean that he isn't he isn't real and he's engaged in this uh, battle to destroy God's people and to oppose God's plan in verse seven uh, we see this dialogue begin taking place between God and Satan so if you uh, have your Bibles and want to, you can read along, but it says, and the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Now, this isn't a question that God doesn't know what Satan's been doing. Uh, God is uh, omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. Uh, but basically, it would be kind of a, a phrase, hey man, uh, Satan, what's, what's going on? What you been up to? Um, and Satan gives an answer there in verse 7. He says, you know, I've just been going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Another translation, a new living says, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. And Satan has access wherever he wants to go. He's, he's a supernatural being. He's not limited as we are by a human body. Uh, he can move as he wishes. 
Um, so what he's been saying is roaming around the earth. He, he means that literally. And then in verse 8, the Lord says something. He says, and the Lord said to Satan, why have you considered my servant Job? As, he, as you know, God's, or Satan's been going true to and fro on the earth. He says, hey, have you noticed Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So he calls attention to this, this great man uh, that Job is. And Satan answers in verse 9, and he says, does Job fear God for no reason? Uh, have you not put a hedge around uh, him and, and his house and all that he has on every side? You, you've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But he says this, uh, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. And so, uh, you know, basically he's saying you've protected him. Uh, you've protected his body, you've protected his family, you've protected his possessions. Uh, you, he hasn't made on every side. Um, but, you know, in this, these, these few verses here, we, we kind of see Satan's personality, so to speak. We, we see that Satan has an intellect because he converses with God. We see he has emotions because he's antagonistic toward Job and, and even, uh, you know, toward God. He said, he'll, you know, if you take touch all he has, he'll curse you to your face. Um, but he also has a will um, or, or choice because he purposes to destroy Job uh, in hopes of disgracing God. Um, and, and, you know, he thinks it's a clever plan. Um, but, you know, it's also uh, unfair because Job certainly doesn't deserve any of this. Uh, but Satan's point's clear. Uh, Job is just worshiping God because of what he gets out of it, not because the Lord is, is truly first in his life. And, and God responds in verse 12, and I want you to, to listen closely um, because it's almost a little startling of what God replies. And so he says in verse 12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, uh, all that he has is in your hand. Uh, only against him do not stretch out your hand. And then it says, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So basically, God hands Satan a permission slip, allowing Satan to touch all that Job has. Uh, he can't touch his, his life, can't touch his, his body or his soul or his mind, uh, but he is allowing him permission to touch all that he, all that he has. Um, and so we're going to stop there um, today in terms of, of the text. Um, I think we've got enough to chew on there, but um, we'll pick up Sunday as we dive back into the book of Job. But um, Charles Swindoll gives us uh, four principles, and I thought these were so good that I wanted to, to share these, but four principles um, of how this can relate to our world and, and where we're at in our lives today. Number one is this, is that there is an enemy. Um, if we were to expand on this a little bit, uh, Pastor Charles writes, there's an enemy we encounter that we cannot see, but he's real, that we have a, a supernatural enemy and we encounter him or one of his agents regularly. And his goal uh, is to weaken our minds, um, weaken our faith, um, and, and to ultimately bring us down uh, to ruin our testimony uh, as he destroys our lives. And so in the process, if it means ruining your family, he'll go there. If it means ruining your reputation at work, he'll go there. If it means um, uh, ruining any number of things, there's no off-limits space or place uh, that Satan won't go if it means uh, ruining your testimony or destroying your life. Um, whatever it takes to bring you down, he'll try it. Um, and so we've got to remember that this enemy is not uh, an enemy that is 
uh, a small little dude sitting on our shoulder that we can just uh, kind of uh, knock off when, when something is going on. Uh, he is brilliant and masterful at what he does, and he knows where our weaknesses are. So we need to understand that we do have an enemy. Number two is this, that there are trials we endure that we don't deserve, uh, but they are permitted. Uh, life includes trials that we don't deserve, but they must be endured. Uh, in the mystery of God's unfathomable will, there will be things we go through that, that can never be fully explained or fully understood. Uh, and one of the things that uh, Charles Swindoll says that, that really uh, impacted me was he says, don't try to grasp each thread of his profound plan. Uh, God's will for our lives and his plan is, is massive, um, and his ways are higher than ours, his thoughts are higher than ours. We can't comprehend what God is trying to do. Uh, and so um, don't try to grasp each thread. We, we, we're just simply not going to understand. Um, but we are called to endure, to endure the trial that has been permitted by God, knowing that nothing touches our lives that is not first passed through the hands of God, that He's in full control. Um, and so we don't have to, to uh, be fearful that He's going to lose control or that somehow things are going to wind up in a way that God doesn't expect. He is sovereign and he knows exactly what's going on, which, which leads us to number three. Uh, there's a plan that we explore that we will not understand, but it's best. Um, through each segment of God's plan, um, you know, they, we may feel like it's not fair, and it's certainly not, excuse me, pleasant, but it works together for the good. Um, you know, our perspective is woefully limited. Um, if we were to describe how we see things, it'd be like, poking a hole in the center of a paper plate and just holding our eyes and only seeing things through that, that hole. Whereas if, if we look at God, He gets the, the full picture, the, the 360 degree angle, the, the, the big picture cosmic plan of how all these things are working together. Um, and to be honest, he, He's not obligated to explain it to us. In fact, I think our heads would probably explode if if we were to just get even a glimpse of, of how magnificent and big his plan is, um, we just wouldn't get it. Um, but the Father knows best um, what's best for his children, and so we need to, to rest in that realization. Um, and then number four, there are consequences we experience that we can't anticipate, but they are necessary. Um, you know, I, I don't know where, where most of us are at right now in terms of, of some of the more private areas of our life, uh, but I know this, you're probably in one of three places in life. One, um, the book of Job and, and what's been mentioned so far um, resonates within us because we have been treated unfairly. Um, we Some things have happened in life that we certainly didn't deserve, but uh, have nonetheless happened, and, and we're having a hard time understanding why. Um, the second thing is, is that um, maybe right now it's resonating because um, you're going through something that's unfair. Life is, or God has is, is permitted some things to happen and, and you're having a hard time understanding why um, and, and have a sense that it feels unfair. Or three, um, if you haven't experienced uh, anything unfair or you aren't experiencing anything unfair, uh, someday you will. Um, and, and the chances are good that, that we don't deserve what, what may be happening. Um, and, and consequences start to get to us. You know, we have these things that are allowed into our lives. There are consequences as a result of these um, 
activities that are happening, um, and, and we begin to feel like we're almost at our wit's end, um, that we're not sure how much more we can take. Um, and you didn't think it would come to any of this, but, but ultimately it has. And, and, and listen, you know, what has happened is a necessary part of your spiritual growth, um, a necessary part. Um, I'm going to wrap up with this. I, th- I think there's two th- couple of things here that, that as we were discussing this on Sunday morning kind of came to mind. Um, is this, there are times uh, in our life when our fear outweighs our faith. Um, fear of, of maybe what's happening or fear of what God may be calling us to. Um, and so we have this fear, and on the other side of it, we kind of have this uh, understanding of the importance of faith, and we know these things about God, but it's hard in the midst of these trials and struggles um, especially in the, in the, in the area of, of, of circumstances that are unfair, it's hard for us to, to bring these two worlds together where you have this faith and you know that God is sovereign and you know that God is good and you know that God's plan works for the best for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. But at the same time, you know, in the flesh, you're, you're suffering and you're hurting. Um, and I don't allow that fear to outweigh your faith. Um, God is much bigger than anything that we are encountering right now. And, and uh, He may be teaching us or helping us learn um, the truth about His Word. I'm reminded in, I think it's Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, that Jesus tells the disciples to get into a boat and to cross the other side. And as they're crossing this the Sea of Galilee, which uh, isn't a very wide sea. In fact, you can stand on one side and very easily see the other one. Um, as they're crossing, this the, Jesus goes down and he goes down the bow of the boat and he, he sleeps and this this storm blows up and it's and a, it's an incredible storm and here are these seasoned fishermen that that many of the disciples were are are literally afraid for their lives they're fearing what what may what what's happening and and they go down and and they they essentially ask Jesus says, do you not care for us you know do you not care that we're perishing that we're going to die. And Jesus rises and he goes up to the top and he, he says, peace be still. And this violent storm at the sound of his voice just stops. Uh, the winds are gone. The, the sea is calm. You know, it was in that moment and in, in that trial, this thing that had been permitted by God. Here these men were afraid for their lives and Jesus rescues them. It's in that moment that they learned far more about Jesus than they would have if Jesus would have just simply said to him, hey, you know I control the wind and the waves, guys. And they would have been like, yeah, you know, we kind of know that. But in the midst of this storm and in the midst of their trial, this valuable truth that they learned about God, that He is sovereign over all things, that He is the creator of all things, resonated deep within them. And it was a truth that, that they held on to. Why? Because personal experience... Uh, often has a, a greater impact on our lives than just merely uh, some knowledge that we carry about something in particular. So it may be that that these things are being permitted in your life uh, in order to teach us um, uh, more about faith and allow our faith to blossom. And so I would encourage you as um, you know as we study this book and maybe as you look back on life and you you begin to to reflect on some things that maybe happened to look back and see where God's hand uh, has been in, in different areas of your life. Because sometimes it's so hard for us in the midst of a struggle to really, uh, to, to really 
um, see God and to, to, to know Him. But, but oftentimes, man, we get on the other side of this thing and we get through it. We look back and we say, man, God was faithful here and God was faithful here. And look how He provided for us here. And so I just want to encourage you this morning as, as we study the book of Job um, to, to just allow your faith and to see, uh, even in moments of silence, how God's working uh, in the midst of it and how God continues to remain faithful, that our faith would blossom that our faith would grow and that we would trust more and more in Him, um, not only for our salvation, but also as the Lord of our life. Uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you this morning, Lord, and we just thank you for the timelessness of your word. We thank you for how your truth uh, transcends time, that that situations and, and, and circumstances that people went through um, a few thousand years ago, Lord, are still pertinent and relevant and can still have lessons for us today. And so we thank you for this book of Job. We thank you how it it speaks to us, Lord. And I just pray that as we continue to study it, Father, that um, your your Holy Spirit would just speak to us through the words and through the text, that, that it would uh, encourage our hearts, Lord, but it would also help us uh, our faith to, to blossom and to grow as we see your activity and 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 uh, since these things and learn more about Job's faith and how he was able to uh, heroically endure um, all that was, was thrown at him, Father, uh, and still never once did he ever sin or charge you with wrong. And so, Father, I pray that the same might be said of us, that, that in all these things that we experience and all the pain we experience in this, on, on this earth, Lord, that that uh, we would never uh, sin against you or, or charge you with wrong. And God, may we understand that whatever it is we are, are allowed or permitted to endure on this earth, uh, God, that it will all pale in comparison to the glories that will be revealed to us in heaven uh, as we run the race, as we stay the course, uh, and as we continue to follow you. So, Father, bless our people. Uh, bless our church, Lord. And God, we just pray that you would bless this study as we Uh, seek to learn more about you um, and desire your will and way in our hearts and our lives. For it's in the mighty and awesome name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.